Let's open up to Genesis chapter 38 and 39. So, um, follow along in Genesis. Joseph is 17 years old. He is, last week, he is a type of Christ. We've been seeing that. It's a picture of us. Uh, So many things about Joseph that are, are a picture of Christ. The, the story takes a wild turn. We, we jump into the, the story of Joseph with his brothers. You know, he tells the dreams. He has the coat. All these things are going on. And then his brothers take him and throw him in a pit. <clears throat> Any of you want to do that to your brothers or sisters, you've got to repent. Okay, that's their message for this morning. No throwing your brothers and sisters in a pit and selling them for money and then telling their dad that they got eaten by wild animals. What would that take in a human being to do that? probably some very interesting family dynamics maybe four different moms in the home some favoritism going on some pretty crazy stuff going on in the family that was what was going on here in, in genesis remember we've been we've been building up to that point and so joseph he's 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 favored by his father he has this coat which which many commentators say resembles authority this young man 17 the youngest and his and these, these brothers, they just, all they've been through, they're like, okay, we're done with this guy checking up on us. We're throwing him in a pit and selling him. And basically that's what they did. And Joseph gets thrown into the pit, sold with some Ishmaelites, and he's moved on. Jacob's heart is broken at the end of chapter 37. 38, we're going to paraphrase most of it, but basically the story breaks from talking about Joseph to the story of Judah. And whenever the Bible does this, you've got to pay attention because it's important it's important because the Holy Spirit's trying to say something that might not be immediately understood, but in the context of Scripture, it's important. And to summarize the chapter, Judah, which was one of the brothers there, he had a heathen buddy named Haran, and it seemed, they seemed to get into a lot of trouble together whenever they're mentioned together. But he went to go visit, um, in, uh, visit him, and he finds this heathen girl, and he marries her. And they have a firstborn son, his name is Ur, that's a great name for a son. And then the second one is Onan, Onan the Barbarian. And then the third was Shelah. They wanted a, it was a guy, but they wanted a girl, I guess. They named him Shelah. And later on, Judah had got a bride for the oldest named Ur, and he was, her name was Tamar. But Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord just put him to death. The Lord just killed him. Doesn't say why, and I'm not going to suggest why, but he was wicked and God killed him. God can do that, by the way. And so Judah said to Onan, Hey, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty as a brother in law to raise up offspring to your brother. He wants you to do this. But he would not impregnate her, if you know what I mean. He was using her because the kid would not be hers. And so what happens is the Lord killed him too. Why is God so serious about this conception taking place? Why is the Lord so serious about this child being born? So we go on. So Judah, the father of these two sons who had died, said uh, uh, in verse 11, said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son uh, Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. I'm not going to give them to you, you know. Go, go live in your father's house, and uh, I'll, you know, I'll call you, basically was what he said. 
So Tamar went to go live in her father's household, which was disgraceful in those days. And so Judah sensed a pattern and told her to go wait. And uh, he didn't really want to give away that last son lest he die as well. And so verse 12 says, After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were there shearing sheep. And his friends, <coughs> I'm sorry, and his friend Haran, the Adumalite, uh, Adulamite, uh, went with him. And so Judah's there with the OK Corral with his pagan buddy. And they're going to do good things here. So... Verse 13 says, when Tamar was told, hey, your father-in-law is, is on his way to Tenma to shear sheep. Tamar, remember, the one he had sent away? When she was told, hey, he's coming into town. She took off her widow's club. She covered herself in a veil to disguise herself and then sat down the entrance to Inaim, which is on the road, on the, on the way to uh, Timna. For she saw that Though Sheila had not, not grown, uh, had now grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing, realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Hey, come now, lest, uh, l- let me sleep with you. And what will you give me f- if I sleep with you, she asked. Well, he said, I'll give you a goat for my flock, he said. It doesn't get any more Old Testament than that, but... But she's a crafty lady, and she says, Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? I'm not going to do this unless I'm sure I'm going to get payment, she asked. Verse 18, he said, Well, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. And so he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him, her father-in-law. And verse 19, after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, the Adulamites, excuse me, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. And he asked the men who lived there, what is, uh, where's the shrine prostitute who is beside the road to Inaim? Now, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said, verse 22. So he went back to Judah and said, hey, I didn't find her. Beside these men who lived there said there isn't any prostitute here. Uh-oh, verse 23. Then Judah said, eh, let her keep what she has or she'll become, will become a laughing stock. And after all, that was a livestock joke, by the way. <laughs> I, did, I did send her this young goat, but she didn't find her. And about three months later, Judah was told, hey, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's now pregnant. And so Judah said, bring her out here and have her burned to death. What a absolutely wonderful reaction to sin look at this oh my gosh i can't believe this happened in our family let's kill him anybody ever have that experience with someone around you the problem is that we're looking at here is that judah is a full-on hypocrite he is a full-on hypocrite anybody ever had that situation and you were blind to your own sin you started talking and then you realized oh gosh I'm a moron. Well, this is what happened. Remember in John 8, this reminds me about uh, executing judgment with someone while they themselves were engaging in it. John 8, remember that uh, section of scripture where the religious leaders, they brought a woman who was caught in the midst of adultery. We don't know where the guy was because under the law, they were supposed, both supposed to die. But they brought this woman who had been caught 
in adultery. And Jesus said in, in chapter 8, verse 4, he said, well, they said, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman is caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They're trying to trap him, right? Into saying something that he could use, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Some passages in Jeremiah are pretty amazing about what Jesus was writing in the dust, but we don't have time to get into that. Verse 7 says, and they kept demanding an answer. Hey, give us an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And actually, in the Greek, it's more like who has never sinned in the same way. It's more specific. Who has never sinned likewise. Let, let you who is not guilty of this in the same manner throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again, and he wrote, In the dust. I can imagine he was writing websites that had been visited. I was imagining that he had been writing hotel rooms people's names next to each one of their names and it says when the accusers heard this they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman we don't know exactly what Jesus was writing but it revealed their hearts it showed them they responded to it by going I better be quiet Judah was a hypocrite and just like David was, remember King David with Bathsheba, and Nathan comes up and talks to him and says, hey, there's this guy who's done this horrible thing. David's like, bring him here so I can slay him. Nathan turns around and goes, that's you, buddy. That's you. And this is just like us. We've got to be so careful when we judge others. You know, so often we say, don't judge, because it's so emphatic in the Scripture, in And I think Jesus puts that that way because we have to be so darn sure that we are not going to crush someone when we are guilty of the same thing. The spirit that we're to have when we're to go uh, go towards someone and to address sin is the spirit of humility. Be humble. And also, when we have that same thing, it's just when you see something in, in someone else, take time, examine your own heart, make sure it's not in there first. Because quite often, I've talked about this before, is that when I have something I see in others that bugs me, it's usually going on in my own life or a frustration or something. There's something connected there. And so I have to stop. I have to pray. I have to examine my own heart before I go to my brother or sister and say, what's going on in my life? Is this, is this a sin that's going on in my life? Or am I going to go and say, hey, burn them at the stake when I'm actually the one who's engaged in it as well. That's very difficult for people. We are so quick to judge, so quick to shoot and, and to shoot down other people and push them down into the dirt in this reality TV show America we live in. How about shutting our mouths for a bit, praying on it, seeing if it's the Lord will that you speak, and when you do speak, make sure it's the Word of God and go with great humility and the idea is that we're taught is to go with the spirit of restoration, not exposure and, uh, and uh, to smash someone down, but the spirit of restoration. The idea is, man, I see this person hurting. They're lost. They're breaking it. They're, they're doing things. They're, they're in a life of sin. I want to go to them as a brother, a sister in Christ. I am not perfect. I'm going to go there in humility and say, listen, I see this going on in your life. It's breaking God's heart. Here's where it says it. It's, it's ruining people's lives around you. 
We love you. Turn from it. Turn. Repent. Come back to God. And it says also be careful lest you fall into the same temptation. You know, I, I know that uh, some of us have areas where that we've had weaknesses in our lives and somehow we feel like we can go have victory in those areas. Alcoholics going and ministering in bars alone. Not a good idea, right? Jesus sends them out in twos, wingmen, right? So there's, there's a lot to be said there. But bring her out here and burn her. My, you know, anyways. So verse 25. And she was being, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, hey, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. Uh-oh. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. And Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not sleep with her again. And so Judah was exposed for what he did, both the prostitution and fulfilling his not fulfilling his duty to uh to uh give his son to his wife to make sure that his line goes goes on there's a lot for that about the kinsman redeemer you can find that story on ruth i I don't have time to go into it this morning but verse chapter uh verse 27 says when the time came for tamar to give birth there were twin boys in her womb and as she was giving birth one of them put out his hand so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said uh, this one came out first, but then he drew his hand back in and his brother came out and, and she said, oh, so this is how you have broken out. All these weird things they say. And he was named Perez. And then his brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was named uh, Zira. And so we've got this thing with twins over and over and over and the youngest and the oldest. It's switching back and forth and it's part of prophecy. But what we're getting at, why the scriptures deviate, why they jump off, uh, off the page, flip over to Matthew chapter 1. And I've shared this with you before, but quickly again. <clears throat> Raise your hand when you're there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bible drill. Matthew chapter 1. Go. Sword drills, right? They do lightsaber drills, too. Never mind. It's the new sword. So, Matthew chapter 1, we read, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we read verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Haran, and eventually you get down to King David, and eventually to Jesus, right? It's showing that he was of the lineage. His household name was of the lineage all the way to here. So this is why this is in there. Moses is writing this, and he's guided by the Holy Spirit. He begins the story of Joseph, and then he jumps off into this weird thing. Who would want to bring this up? It has nothing to do with the flow of what's going on, but you just jump out all of a sudden, and 1,500 years before Christ, someone decides to go ahead and write this and then jumps back. That's the Holy Spirit, friends. When you see these things happening, look out. When you see a chapter, something that seems out of place, God's giving these little tiny uh, vignettes, thank you, from last week, 
whoever it was that gave me that word, of, of the future, of what's going to happen. A little picture of prophecy here. And so this is the line of Christ. Jesus is the line of Judah. Really, really interesting. But anyways, the reason, again, is this is connecting directly to the lineage of Christ. The story happened 1,500 years before Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you know who your ancestors were 1,500 years ago? Exactly. Very few do, right? Just Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And so on, on, on to chapter 39. Joseph has been sold into Egypt as a slave uh, by his brothers. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Joseph had been in the pit. He had been sold. How would you like to have been sold, thrown in a pit, sold, and then bought by some strange guy and said, hey, you're mine now, and you're going to work and do exactly what I say? And this guy, Potiphar, he was basically the uh, chief of Pharaoh's secret service. That's kind, of, that's kind of the role he had. And he purchased Joseph. I wonder how much he bought him for. I'm still trying to figure this out. If the merchants bought him for 20, what do you think their profit was? Maybe 10, 30, I'm just, never mind. I'm trying to figure out the 30 pieces of silver thing with Jesus. I know it could be inflation, but I'm trying to think here. Profit margin. And so here was Joseph. He was betrayed and he was sold by his brothers. Now he's sold again. And I can imagine this is just a very difficult time for Joseph. And you've gone through trials like that where you feel like you've just been bought and sold and everything's out of control. Everything's out of control. You're, you're a slave to something. Joseph is probably alone and scared. But verse 2, write this down, underline it. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He was prospering in the house of bondage, in slavery, under difficult circumstances. He was prospering. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. He got a promotion. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Listen how many times he repeats this. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. That is sweet. Could you imagine having someone who that you just didn't have to worry about a thing? They were so diligent and faithful, and your house flourished under them. Uh, just think of that in your own house. Say you had your Joseph. Let's just, you know, I'm just saying. You had like a, a kid or, or an employee or someone that they were just so darn faithful that your house was just blessed. And you realized as you were looking at them, man, this isn't just them. There's something supernatural happening here, working in and through their lives. That is radiating out to my family, to me. Wow, look at that. And that's what was happening in the life of Joseph, in and through Joseph, under difficult circumstances, under harsh conditions, 
under abandonment, under loneliness, under, you know, all the things. The dreams he had are not coming true. What he saw was not happening. They were the furthest thing in his mind. That's, that's some heavy stuff. But notice a few things here. The first is that the Lord was with him. What happened when the Lord was with Joseph? It says the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Why did God give Joseph success? Why did God give Joseph success? For success's sake? So that Joseph could have a bunch of stuff? So that he could have the attaboy, so he could have the pat on the back? Right. He's bringing glory to God. What is he doing? He's working a plan. There is a plan. There is a purpose in his life. That is why he is blessing him. Why have you been blessed? With health. With brains. With work. With people. With influence. With whatever you have. God is working a plan. God desires to use you to bring attention to himself through you. But I'm in bondage. My body doesn't work. All these things are happening. The Lord is with you, brother and sister. In your weakness, he is made strong. We're singing here this morning, and I'm just going, man, uh, hurting, you know? And God just kept reminding me, you know, what's that, with the first song we sang, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Man, that, those, those, are, those are riches. That is so deep for a person, for a human being to realize that he is my strength. And not just to say it, but to know it. It becomes a reality in their heart. Joseph was in a place of weakness all around him, but God caused him to flourish because the Lord was with him because he was working a plan in and through his life. Now, if Joseph's plan was to become wealthy, to become rich, to be independent, to have a car, to have a house, to have all these things, if that was his primary goal in life, he's going to be a pretty miserable person because it's not happening for him, it's happening for everybody else around him. Difficult. He blessed him because God was working through Joseph to accomplish a plan. The blessing in and upon and through Joseph was so great that others took notice, that Potiphar took notice. His boss took notice. Because of the Lord in Joseph's life, he gained favor with his master. He gained favor with his employer, so to speak. And guess what? He was promoted. And he was given more responsibility. And from that time, the Lord blessed the Egyptian household because of Joseph, even more. The blessings went from the Lord to Joseph to Potiphar. You see how that worked? Both inside and outside of the house. It was, it was just inside at first, but it seemed like it expanded to the outside. It was overflowing. The blessings that were happening were overflowing. Potiphar didn't need to concern himself with it anymore. 
just what am I eating today? Probably just lifting it to his mouth. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a great reminder to us as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, how the blessings of God can flow from you to the world around you. The world around me. We live in a post-slavery nation, friends. A post-slavery nation, praise God. And that is not accepted, nor is it legal. And so sometimes when we come to these verses that talk about slavery, we can kind of go, okay, well, when it was a real reality to some people in our culture, you know, 150, 200 years ago, to people back in the times of Rome where people were just taken from their homes and they were owned, to back here in the time of, you know, was it uh, 3,500 years ago in Egypt when people were just slaves, bought and sold? <clears throat> when we read about Paul's writing to Christians who were slaves and how they were to act towards their masters, there could be a disconnect, can't there? Our nation fought a war over those things. They were wrestling with them. But it's a little removed from us now, but I have to say that most of the same principles apply if you just replace the slave-master with the employee-employer relationship. We are so darn concerned with our rights these days. And I praise God that we live in a nation where we have this incredible freedom. But if anybody does this wrong ever, oh, it's the ultimate offense. It's the ultimate offense. I don't want to go off on my little... But I have to say that if you view your job as just a job, if you view what God's put in front of you as just a job, you don't have the full picture. I don't have the full picture. It's part of the mission field that God has placed you in. God has placed each of you in a mission field. He's placed you to draw people's attention to the goodness of God. He's placed you to draw people's attention to the goodness of God. No matter what you're doing, the sports you play, the work you have, the faithfulness you show in being a mother, the faithfulness you show in being a father, he's called you to reflect and to be a vessel of God's goodness to flow through your life. But we are so ripped off when we say, I am here for me, and for the paycheck, or for the glory. That's part of it, friends. We are to get, you know, God wants to provide through our work, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's a ministry. It's a mission field. God has strategically placed you behind enemy lines, right in the middle of the the thick of it, to shine his light and to be a blessing, to draw attention to God. That's why you're there. You know, if you want to experience blessing through your employment, both you and those around you, which is why you're there, right? You're there to to provide something of value. Has everybody forgotten that? We're we're to provide something of value, so they actually want to hire us and keep us? We're to be a blessing? But jot down this verse. Colossians 3.23, and it says... Whatever you do, wherever you be at, right? Whatever you're doing, work at it with all your heart 
as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Do it for the Lord, not for human masters. Do you remember when you were a kid, or maybe even recently for some of you, you know, your, your mom, your dad asks you, go pull the weeds. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go pull the weeds. And it's like, you take like 30 minutes just to like find the little tool in the bag and you're dragging out there and you pull one weed and it's like, oh, why have you forsaken me? You know, we're like looking at like, you know, or, you know, cleaning the toilets. Oh, you're just, you're a slave. It's horrible. And yet the neighbor, you know, asks you, hey, can you come help me with this? You're like, sure. And you run over and you're like, you're like asking for parts. Hey, can I help do this and that? And look at this. And not only do you do that, but you like do more than what you're supposed to do. And then you go, you go hey, I see that needs help. Do you need help with that? And you go do anybody. You hypocrites. <laughs> Just kidding. Me too. It's always funner to, funner to work on someone else's car with them, you know, or to do someone else's stuff. But that heart, it's like, hey, don't work for human masters. Do it for the Lord. We should be, have that attitude in our, in our employment. We are working for the Lord. And no matter, no matter what we do, where we are, it's for Jesus. He is our master. And he is a good master. You know, the Lord's saying, don't go out there with an attitude A. You know, whatever you do, do it. Because in reality, I want you to do it because you're doing it for me. That's how I want you to work. Do it with, because with I'm right there with you, actually. You don't see it, but I'm right there. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit, when you have this heart and this attitude, He empowers you to do the work continually in a joyful heart. You know, when I was working at, uh, as a waiter uh, in between ministry stuff, and, and I was 30 years old, and I'm just going, I'm not telling anybody I'm a pastor. No one's going to know I'm a pastor. Because as soon as you say, hey, I'm a pastor, everybody's like, oh, okay, Mr. Holy Roller here, you know. And whatever they didn't want to do, I was determined in my heart that I would do it. Because you got just a bunch of complainers, you know. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful work environment. You had a couple real gems, but I mean, most people are like, oh, i got to clean the thing. Yeah, it's like what you're hired to do. And so I would do these things. Not only what I had to do, but I'd go, I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. I just wanted to be a blessing of God's goodness. Oh, you need to leave early? I'll do it. I was a slave for Jesus because I wanted them to know Christ. I was willing to give up what I wanted for what, for him. And I'm not saying I was perfect in it. I'm just saying that there are these examples of where God has placed us and we aren't taking advantage of them fully and we're complaining instead of going, okay, I'm just going to do this with your love. Lord, empower me to be this person that I am not. And you step out in faith and you begin to do it. And you become a blessing to people around you. And guess what? Who's going to look at you and say, hey, I want to give them more hours, or hey, I want to promote them, or who's the good attitude? Like happened to Potiphar. You're providing something of value. You're making it a wonderful experience for people. You know, and of course there's moral dilemmas and all this stuff. You've got to seek out the Lord. But 
There's an attitude in Joseph that's motivating his work, and that came from the fact that God was with him. God is with you. God is with you when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home today. Whatever you are working at, whatever God, he says, whatever you have, do it as unto the Lord, wherever he's put you. God is with you. And the goal is not just to get paid. Yes, we get paid, and we should get paid for the work we do. But the goal is to point people to Jesus through who we are and what we do and how we do it. And so our work ethic as Christians should be awesome. It should be awesome. It should shine Jesus. We should outperform everybody and with joy. And we need to not worry about someone else getting ahead of us because promotion comes from the Lord. I don't need to worry about God as my manager. Look at what Joseph is doing. Even in the hardship he's going through right here, the hardship he's going through right here, very gifted, very talented slave. And we're going to see this progression. Joseph had a slave to God mindset. Be a slave for the Lord. Be a servant. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, Matt. Serve people. You know, sometimes I run around like a turkey with my head cut off. I, am, I have a Martha syndrome. I understand that. But I was trained from the very beginning. Nothing is, nothing is beneath you. Go clean the toilets. Pastor, go pick up cigarette butts. Go do whatever it is. If you can't do the least of these things, how can you be a servant of all? It's not beneath us. Whatever it is, let's do it. God is with us. So be in relationship with the Lord. Realize that he's with you. Work that way for him and watch the Lord bless. And watch the Lord give you promotion if that's what he wants. Promotion does come, uh, does not come from time. Sir, wait, 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 let, me, let me rephrase this. We often think that promotion comes because I've been a place for a long time. That's not necessarily the way the world works, just to let you know. It does in some circles. But are you providing something of value? Are you valuable? Are you giving? Think about it. This, by the way, this, this probably, he was in Potiphar's house for maybe like 10, 11 years. This might have been a process. It doesn't say the amount of time before he was promoted. It might have been this blessing happened over time. Most likely it did. Over a five, six, seven year period. Eight, nine years. And we're going to end in just a second. But Joseph had a great attitude. He was hardworking. He did what he did, he brought, brought blessing and value to his master. And I just ask him, can you say that about what you do? What I do? Are we a blessing? God wants us to be a blessing to people. And as the church, we should stand out in this area. And yes, the warfare is going to be real. And we're going to talk about this next week. The enemy will try to take us out when we begin to see God's hand upon us. Maybe we, like Joseph, um, Maybe we'll be like Joseph, who the Lord has blessed and, 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 and has turned into a real blessing for others. That's what I'm praying for us, that this week we would go out and we would shine with a sustained 
sustained stamina and just the joy of the Lord working through us and being a blessing. So how many of you are dreading Monday? I can't wait to get here. I can't wait to pastor a church. I mean, you're like, and you guys have a lot of problems. If you guys didn't know that. <laughs> Guess who has a lot of problems? I tell you, you guys are a joy. I love being with you. I love, you know, seeing God work in the midst of, of, of difficulties and hard times. I mean, he's with us. So don't, you know, don't cower away from the difficult circumstances and the things we have to overcome. The Lord wants to use you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Let him pour it out through you. And realize also, this is, the, this is what I'm going to end on because I got two minutes left. Ha! This is it. That when we begin to shine, when we become a blessing to the people around us, and this is, this is it, this is the key. Expect warfare. Expect the enemy to try to take you out in your weakness. Expect the backtalking. Expect the sexual advances, as we'll read about with Joseph. Expect the different things going on. Expect him to take you out because you bring attention to God, you also bring attention to yourself, and the enemy's going to look at you and go, hey, guess what? Time to take that person out. And... I, sadly, I see it in so many of our lives, in my life. The enemy can come in and he can just quell that, that, that fire. He finds the weakness and he takes us out. And the blessings cease. Oh, let the le- let's go to the cross. Go to the cross with that junk and lay it at his feet and say, Lord, re-empower me today to be the joy that you've called me to be. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for your, your grace, your mercy. We pray that uh, as we go out tomorrow, Lord, that we would have a slave of Jesus Christ mindset. Lord, you've placed us in situations where people sometimes are unreasonable. Some people are going through attitudes, and we can't expect any different, Lord, from the world. But, Lord, we're your kids, and we have your Holy Spirit in us, and we... We pray that you would help us crucify our flesh. You'd help us crucify that old man that says, no, me, my, my way. And we would say, no, Lord, but your will be done. Tomorrow when we walk in those doors and when we wake up with the kids or whatever it is that we're doing, wherever you've placed us, Lord, just remind us that we're under new management. And we ask, Lord, that our hearts would not grow weary in doing well, but you continually fill us with your Holy Spirit. We are so darn leaky, Lord. We need you every day. Amen.